Hey, welcome. It's time for another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, as she called us to live to a higher standard each day. To not be satisfied with just a little religion thrown into life as some kind of a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. We're going to begin a series. It's an extended multi-week series, 24 Gateway to Joy programs all together. We usually share two each week. So we'll have uh, part one in just a little bit. Let me give you another idea of what's coming up. We'll hear from Olga Cantrell as she talks about the influence of Elizabeth on her life. And Elizabeth Elliot will have a short summary of Gateway to Joy. How would she summarize it if she were asked? Well, stay tuned for that later on. First, though, let's get this started. It's the Amy Carmichael story, A Chance to Die. And this is part one. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you today and for several days on the subject of a chance to die. What a strange title, you may be saying. Well, I agree. It needs a little explaining, doesn't it? It's the title of a book, a biography that I wrote about a woman whose life has had an incalculable impact in my own life. Her name was Amy Carmichael. She was an Irish missionary who spent 53 years in India with no furloughs. One of the things that Amy Carmichael used to say was, when anything cuts across your natural desires, see in it a chance to die. First of all, I'd like to tell you a little bit about why I wrote this book. I talk a lot about faith, don't I? F-A-I-T-H. Now, what in the world is faith? Everybody talks about faith. All sorts of radio programs, lots of television programs talk about faith. And people casually use the word to mean any kind of a religion. They speak about, well, he belongs to a different faith. And it is a word that causes a lot of confusion. I could talk about theories of faith. I could give you definitions from the dictionary and from the Bible. And I tried, as I was growing up, to learn what faith was all about because I came from a Christian family and I went to church and Sunday school and Bible conferences and Bible schools and all sorts of places where I heard about faith. But nothing has so clearly and powerfully taught me what faith is like a real, live model. Wouldn't you agree? There's just nothing that comes even close to a real, live model for teaching power. And the same thing would go for love. We can talk about love from here till kingdom come. But without a visible model of a loving person, we don't really know very much about it, do we? I came from a Christian home, as I've told you. There were some live models there of both faith and love. 
And there was something else in that Christian home. Our house was lined with books. I can remember places where we lived where things were so cramped that we had to have bookcases in the hall so that you had to kind of walk sideways down the hall. There wasn't enough room. But we had books in every room, books in our cribs, I guess, before we could read, before we could even turn the pages very well. We sort of lived and ate and breathed and drank books. And it was in a good many of those books that I also found what seemed live models to me. There was a deep and powerful influence in my life through Christian biographies. If a biography is well-written, then it certainly ought to be the next best thing to seeing the very living flesh. So I recommend to you the story of the lives of men and women who have been faithful to God. Tracing in the story of one person's life the faithfulness of God and the faith of one man or one woman, what is the effect of that faithfulness? What do I find on the pages of that book? What kind of a difference did Jesus Christ make in that person's life? How did he or she cope Let me name a few of the biographies that helped to shape my life and my understanding of the word faith. The biographies of Hudson Taylor, of David Brainerd, who was a missionary in New Jersey and Pennsylvania to the Indians back in the 17th century. James Fraser of the China Inland Mission. Henry Martin of India. David Livingston of Africa. Francis Ridley Havergal a great hymn writer, Lilius Trotter, founder of the North Africa Mission, Amy Carmichael, the lady about whose life I want to be telling you in the next few days, Betty Scott Stam, many others, but these are just samples. In my study where I prepared this talk, I have on the wall a motto done in bronze With these words, make me thy fuel, that comes from a poem that Amy Carmichael wrote. The poem ends with these lines, make me thy fuel, flame of God. It has been one of the poems of my life. I memorized it when I was in college. To my great delight, the president of the college who spoke at our commencement quoted that poem in its entirety. And so the friend who made that little bronze plaque for me, Liz Armstrong of Columbus, Ohio, knew that I loved those words, make me thy fuel, and she knew that it was one of my prayers, and so I have that on my wall. I also have a complete shelf of blue-bound books, cloth-bound books, written by Amy Carmichael. She wrote about 40 books. I have her picture. I have a bronze cross on the wall that also belonged to Amy Carmichael. It was given to me by a missionary who told me that when Amy was very ill, shortly before her death, she'd gotten to the place where she could neither read the Bible, nor think, nor pray for any length of time. And when the pain would be so great that she couldn't do anything else, she would ask for someone to hand her that bronze cross, and she would just hold it in her hands. That means something to me. And those books that she wrote spelled out for me the meaning of that prayer, Make Me Thy Fuel. 
they spelled out also the meaning of taking up the cross, one of the conditions of discipleship. What does it mean to take up one's cross? What is love with a capital L? Amy Carmichael wrote a gem of a book with a two-letter title, The Word If, If by Amy Carmichael. This is the way that book begins. There are times when something comes into our lives which is charged with love in such a way that it seems to open the eternal to us for a moment, or at least some of the eternal things, and the greatest of these is love. It may be a small and intimate touch upon us or our affairs, light as the touch of the dawn wind on the leaves of the tree, something not to be captured and told to another in words. But we know that it is our Lord. And then perhaps the room where we are, with its furniture and books and flowers, seems less present than his presence. And the heart is drawn into that sweetness of which the old hymn sings. The love of Jesus, what it is, none but his loved ones know. That kind of love that Amy Carmichael embodied and exemplified and wrote about began to seep into my heart and into my thinking as an ideal, as a goal toward which to live and to direct my prayers. She was much more than a role model to me. She was a spiritual mother. She was an influence on Jim Elliot. It was just a tremendous thrill to me in my first conversations with Jim Elliot, with whom I had fallen in love as a college student. What a thrill to learn that Jim Elliot was a fan of my friend Amy Carmichael. Of course, I had never met her, except in the pages of her books. But lo and behold, Jim had been memorizing her poetry, too. I can still hear him saying those words, From all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. You know, men are desperately in need of women to look up to, as are we women. They need women who deserve reverence and respect. You have not had godly women in your lives. May I commend to you Amy Carmichael as a model, as one whose life could influence yours as it did Jim Elliott's. A number of years ago, we met a lady who had worked with Amy Carmichael, had been in fact one of her nurses, and I said to her, do you think there's a possibility that I might be permitted to write a new biography of Amy Carmichael? There had been one that came out in 1952, written by Frank Houghton, but I felt that a new one was needed. And she said, well, I don't see why not. I'll put you in touch with the proper people. She did. And this book is the result. The title is A Chance to Die. One of the pages that opens her book quotes this poem, which was one of her favorites. Be earnest, earnest, earnest. Mad if thou wilt. Do what thou dost as if the stake were heaven, and that thy last deed before the judgment day. That's by Charles Kingsley. May God help us to have eyes to see each chance to die, to say no to ourselves 
and yes to God. Part one of the Amy Carmichael story, A Chance to Die. And uh, we'll have part two in just a little bit. First, though, we're going to hear from Olga Cantrell. Olga was born in the USSR and came to faith just after the Soviet Union fell apart. She translated Passion and Purity into Russian. Olga Cantrell. I first really got acquainted with Elizabeth Elliot when I read her book, Passion and Purity. It was sent to me by a friend of mine, and I was in my late teens when I read it. And I was really impressed by her depth, by the seriousness of her commitment, the way she didn't beat around the bush and talked straight, especially to the women. I started translating parts of her book into Russian mainly for my own use, for my own enjoyment, I would say, so that I could share it with other people, just taking extracts and um, translating just a few chapters. And then after I married and my husband learned about what I was doing and prompted me to contact the publishing house and find out if it was already in Russian, and we found out it was not. And through the series of events, we were able to actually meet, meet Lars and Elizabeth on one of their trips to Europe. We spent the day with them. And I remember we took them to one of the castles. And after a tour there, I was just standing there sharing with her how at that point I was having some just a foolish notion happening where I would say, you know, lately, if I want to say go right, I for some reason go left. If I want to say go left, I for some reason go say go right. And she just looked at me and she said, well, get over it. And I was a little bit stunned, but I was also really blessed by this just straight forward to the point. No, just playing around. And that's what I really appreciated in her in her life and in her work. That was Olga Cantrell, a native of the USSR and translator for Passion and Purity into the Russian language. Well, later on, we'll hear from Elizabeth talking about a summary of Gateway to Joy. I don't miss that. But first, though, let's have part two of the Amy Carmichael story. If you've listened to Elizabeth before, you've probably heard her talk about Amy Carmichael. She had a love and appreciation for that missionary. Well, part two of the Amy Carmichael story. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking with you again today about Amy Carmichael's book, A Chance to Die. I said Amy Carmichael's book. It's a book about Amy Carmichael. It was a tremendous privilege and pleasure for me to write this book, although it was a lot of hard work. But I feel such a tremendous debt to Amy Carmichael Let me tell you what I wrote in my preface. Amy Carmichael became for me what some now call a role model. She was far more than that. She was my first spiritual mother, besides my own physical mother, that is, who was also a spiritual mother. She showed me the shape of godliness. For a time, I suppose, I thought she must have been perfect, and that was good enough for me. But as I grew up, I knew that she couldn't have been perfect, and that was better for it meant that I might possibly walk in her footsteps. If we demand perfect models, we will have, except for the Son of Man himself, none at all. And about the title of this talk, A Chance to Die, I saw in her life 
that the chance to die, to be crucified with Christ, is not a morbid thing, but the very gateway to life. I was drawn slowly and fitfully. My response was fitful, but inexorably. When I think of her loyal answering of the Lord's call, come follow, and the incalculable difference that it has made in my life, I felt that I owed to Amy Carmichael as great a debt as one woman can possibly owe to another. To be a Christian is to identify oneself completely and without reservation to Christ in his death and resurrection. Now, I want you to think about that. What do you think a Christian is? Is it just somebody who, by saying, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior, has gotten a ticket to heaven, but his Christianity, his faith, doesn't seem to make any difference at all in his life? Well, I must say that I would doubt the validity of that person's faith. Because we cannot call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ without the willingness to identify ourselves completely and without reservation to Christ in his death and resurrection. Are you unwilling to die to yourself? To seize the chance to die that comes to us every day? Have you not identified with that new life that Christ gives us through his resurrection power? Are you still living the old life? Maybe you need to ask yourself, have I ever understood what it means to be a Christian? The Bible really doesn't know any other kind of Christian. To be saved means to be saved not only from a future place of damnation, but also to be delivered today from my own selfishness, and sinfulness. It means to accept God's will in place of my own. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough for me. I'm sure it's tough for you. The kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of this world and of darkness. That accepting, I find, is a daily exercise, a daily saying no to myself, a chance to die. Yesterday was Sunday afternoon. I came home from church looking forward to a long, peaceful, quiet Sunday afternoon all by myself. My husband was away. I had guests coming later in the evening, but I had, quote, nothing to do, period, unquote. I love that kind of an afternoon, and Sundays I can do nothing except read or pray or walk, things that I don't have enough time to do on the other days of the week, Without guilt. I can do it on Sundays without guilt. And so I was looking forward to this, and guess what? Somebody met me at the end of church and said, would you have some time that you could talk to me this afternoon? And I calculated, when are my guests arriving? Maybe 3.30 or 4. I'll get home about 12.30 or 1. I was going to eat my lunch in peace and quiet. All of that, of course, in a lightning calculation. And so I said, sure, I can talk to you this afternoon. But it meant saying... No to my plans. A very small thing. 
But I was very thankful that God had given me that little chance to die because I think some real life came out of that, not only for the woman that I was supposed to be helping, but for the kind of help that God, by his Holy Spirit, gave me through my having said no to myself. It was, for me, a gateway to joy. It means falling into the ground and dying. And when the seed falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't abide alone, but it brings forth fruit. Amy Carmichael lived her life in this way, a continual surrendering of herself, a radical commitment. That kind of commitment is going to cost something. I want to ask you today, does the gospel shape your life? Or is it sort of an extra, maybe a little blob of whipped cream on the top of the Sunday of your life? Does the gospel give new form to the way you do things? Has there been a radical change which is noticeable to you and to your friends? Or does the gospel merely touch your life lightly here and there when you're in a pinch? Do you appropriate the principle of the cross? Or do you just nibble and sip at Christianity, Christian books, Christian magazines, Christian programs, going to church? Somebody says, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I listen to Elizabeth Elliot every day. Uh-huh. So what does that do? You know, that and a dollar is going to get you on the subway in New York. I think it's a dollar. Maybe it's a dollar fifty by now. But what's God going to ask you when you stand before him? What kind of a difference will he have made in your life? Circumstances and events are his bright servants. Now, you know, I didn't see them that way when this woman said, can I have some of your time this afternoon? But I look back less than 24 hours and I say, thank you, Lord. That circumstance that I did not welcome naturally was your bright servant to bless me, to give me a gateway to joy. Well, in a biography, I can see that happening in the other person's life in a way that I can't see it in my own. I don't have that kind of perspective on my own life. Well, the book begins with a marvelous scene of Amy Carmichael stuffing her two little brothers up through the skylight and then squeezing herself out onto the steep slate roof. Glorious freedom. They stood up triumphant in the fresh wind that swept across the Irish Sea. The water was blue today, which to the girl, perhaps seven or eight years old, meant that it was happy. On some days it was green and angry, on others gray and anxious. Over the rooftops of the village they could see the stony beach and far off across the water the great rock called Ailsa Craig and two rounded hills, the Paps of Jura. Now for the rest of the adventure. Gleefully the three children slid down the slates and paraded triumphantly around the lead gutters until they saw, gazing up at them, the astonished faces of their parents. Well, she was a daring little girl. The story goes on to describe the setting of her, their home close to the Irish Sea, the little village of Mill Isle, the fact that her father was the owner of a big flour mill, the discipline in their home, 
pandies were what they called spankings and a dreadful medicine called Gregory powder that she was given one time when she and her little brothers had eaten some poisonous berries on purpose just to see who would die first. Her mother administered Gregory powder. And when they were punished, either spanked or given Gregory, they had to hold out their hand without flinching and say, Thank you, Mother. She tells about family prayers, about hiding a little mouse in her pinafore and hoping it would not squeak during family prayers. She tells of her extreme sensitivity to pain and of finding one of her brothers pinning a frog to the thorns of a monkey puzzle tree. She was frantic and raced into the house crying to tell her parents of what was happening. She thought of the suffering of that poor frog. And then she said, Now all the frogs will go to heaven. She understood the story of the cross. We have a way to heaven because one of us, one man, was crucified. It's Amy Carmichael that wrote this little gem of a book called If. And during these talks about Amy Carmichael, I want to read to you some of the gems from her writings. I can't begin to describe the impact that these have had upon me, but let me read to you from her book, If. If I can easily discuss the shortcomings and the sins of any, if I can speak in a casual way, even of a child's misdoings, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I do not feel far more grieved for the Savior than for my worried self when troublesome things occur, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I know little of his pitifulness, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. If I know little of his courage, of hopefulness for the truly humble and penitent, he saith unto them, Feed my lambs, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Part two of a 24-part series, The Amy Carmichael Story. Before we go, let's have a short summary of Gateway to Joy, and who better to provide that than Elizabeth herself? It's no easy task to figure out what the world to talk about to people who listen to me on the radio. I'm not assuming that all of you do by any means, but a good number of you do. And if you've been listening for any length of time, you know that you hear the same things over and over and over. And... It comes down always to two simple words, trust and obey. Believe that God is faithful and do what he says. And I do believe that that is the only way, as the old gospel hymn says, trust and obey for there's what? No other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Well, we'll continue with this extended series on Amy Carmichael next time. But first, let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe uh, along with you as you got some exercise, wherever we found you today. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources available at elizabethelliot.org. Lectures, talks, devotionals, videos, and more. elizabethelliot.org. Recently, we had a podcast review that said, 
thankful for this podcast to listen to the wisdom of Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe you could leave a review as well, wherever you happen to be listening to this, uh, this series. Thanks. Well, until next time, may God remind you daily you're loved with an everlasting love and underneath are the everlasting arms. Thank you.